0: Hey, great to be with you another Sunday. We're going to change things up a little bit today. As you If you watch every Sunday, you can tell we've squeezed the camera in, so I'm a little, little tight screen. We really wanted to feel a little bit more like your living room uh, this this morning, as this passage certainly leans to living rooms. And even as we continue to try to figure out how to do all this video uh, stuff that we've had to learn since COVID, we, we want to keep experimenting try to Get better and better at it. So if you know me or you want to reach out to me and you like, like it like this, then you can feed that back to me and we will we, we continue to work to get better. The most important thing is not the delivery method, right? Whether uh, the preacher's live or on a big video or on a screen, the most important thing is that God moves. And so it's been difficult for me because I'm used to looking at real people in front of me to, to look at the screen and remind myself the Holy Spirit moves as he pleases, He's a person. He does as he wills. I don't tell him what to do. I ask him, and and even now, I'm going to ask him to move in your home and move in your heart as you take this in and and, and to work on me as I work through these notes in a really kind of casual way to uh, hopefully make us more like Jesus and operate well as the church that he left on this, this planet. Let's pray together. Father's Zaya, I open your word. I want to be true to it. I, uh, I really want to relax and talk about it like I would across the table. I love this passage. You really embedded it in my mind 30 plus years ago. And it's driven me for years. So I hope to be able to just communicate it simply and with power that only your spirit can deliver. So now we, as a group, we ask you to work on our hearts, to communicate to us, to move on us. Lord, some of us, we really need to be encouraged today. Others, others we need a little kick, Lord. So work on us as we talk from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, I... Uh, grew up in this tiny little church, we met twice on Sunday morning, we met on Sunday night, Wednesday night. And at some point, maybe 11 years old, 12 years old, um, they bought this film. For some of y'all that are younger than me, you have no idea what this is. It has this machine and it had a reel on it. You've probably seen them in the movies and it would pull the film through a projector and the projector would then shoot it up on a screen in front of the church. So they bought this film called The Thief in the Night. I don't know if you've heard of the rapture, but it's uh, a term some Christians use for when Christ will return. And uh, everybody agrees he's going to return, right? It depends on your, quote, eschatology, big word for when does Jesus return. Everybody agrees he's returning. There's a couple different views on when and how and so forth. But this particular movie uh, painted the picture of him returning and how the world was going into chaos, before he returned, and then what happens when the King of Glory came back to the planet, like he promised in Acts? And as a boy, but I'm sitting there, I am scared out of my mind. It, it, it was something about the reality that the movie helped paint a picture of the reality of the end, and it created really created fear in me. That fear was good in some ways. Um, it, it helped me think through how to be ready for Christ's return. It was bad in some ways. It it paralyzed me in some ways. What worked better in that same time frame for me was just spending time with God. So um, during that phase of life, 11, 12, 13, moving into middle school, I I, I had this discipline of getting up in the morning and opening the Bible and spending a little bit of time in it. And I'd, I'd try to pray and I'd write out my prayer. I had this little tiny notebook. How I wrote in that thing, I don't know. And I'd write out certain things, and, and I began to pray for George. George seems like a fictional name, but it wasn't. It was a real real kid at school. He was uh, often alone and uh, seemed like somewhat of a normal kid. But in my times of being with God, what began to happen was I, I began to care about other people. I was an extremely shy kid in school, and, and the Holy Spirit, with a combination of that, Urgency of the return of Christ and this just joy that I was having with God really moved me to hang out with George. I'd sit before school with George. Uh, we'd sit in the lunchroom sometimes together uh, during school. We didn't have any classes together. I began to just share about my relationship with Jesus. What was interesting is because of those times in the morning, kind of flowed off my tongue pretty easily. I was scared. It was awkward. But the more we talked, the more comfortable George got with it. We, we, we just hung out. Uh, eventually, George wanted to come to church with me. We had a little tiny church, 30 people. There was nothing special about how we gathered. But it, the people loved the Lord, and George wanted to come. And my, my mom and dad, would, we would drive by George's house and pick him up before church and take him to church. And over the course of time, George came to Christ. I have no idea where George is now. It's really interesting when we ask this question, is it time believers for 2,000 years. I don't know if you remember this in Acts chapter one, the the angels come down to the disciples and they say, Jesus is gonna come back just how he left. So he's gonna come back that same way. He's coming back. For 2,000 years, the church has been anticipating the return of Christ. Paul thought he was gonna come during his lifetime. You can go century by century, decade by decade, and you could ask a Christian during that season, is he coming now? And they would all, or or soon, and there's always somebody proclaiming him coming soon. And so for me and you, it's really healthy to think about him coming as a thief thief in the night and feel that urgency and and a little fear of facing the living God, and at the same time, just enjoying his his presence. And and out of that the overflow of being with him, sharing it with other people. That's why we gave away dominoes last week. And I don't know if you were with us online last week, but we passed out these little dominoes and we just ask you, us, to allow the Holy Spirit by loving us and overflowing in our hearts with love to tip into somebody else. And over the course of time, maybe five, 10, 15, maybe, maybe just one person that God uses you to share the truth about Jesus with. So Acts kind of flows, Acts one, you have this amazing moment where Jesus ascends into heaven and the angels say he's coming back just how he left. You open up Acts chapter two and we have the day of Pentecost, which we spent a bunch of time on last week where the Holy Spirit is given to us, the church. Peter goes out and preaches, and the other disciples preach in a variety of languages. I really would love to see that. I thought about even trying that at Radius, asking everybody who knows a different language to stand up and yell as loud as they can, John three sixteen, in their language of choice. It'd just be crazy to watch that thing go down, and people believed. And if you remember, when we completed the passage last week, we, uh, we saw 3,000 people come to Christ. So, so this, the birth of the church... The church has begun. So they were asking, is it time? And finally, the answer is yes, it is time. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them and they don't know it, but the church is birthed. You and I sit in a very similar position where we are a part of the church. Matter of fact, man, you are every bit as much a part of the church of Jesus Christ as those 120 who were there at the very beginning. Yeah, they were there at the beginning. They're kind of the founders, but you're no less a part of the church of Jesus Christ than they because the same sacrifice paid for you, the ransom for you and your sins, right? So it says you can be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we we open up the scripture and we read the end of Acts chapter two, and this is our story. This is how we started. This is the, found, the founding of the church. So it should be a little fun to read it. And when we see it, we want to emulate some of it. Just like we would want to emulate uh, our, our founding fathers. There's all this debate now about the Constitution, people always trying to move it. Those rascals put together a pretty good plan for a nation. You're talking about the strongest nation in the world right now. I don't care what the naysayers say. Ain't no debate about it. You could argue the greatest nation in the history of the world. Those fellas had a pretty good little plan there at the beginning. That was just man's plan. You and I, as followers of Jesus, when we read Acts chapter 2, we're looking back to our beginnings as a group, as Christians, as the church. And those are our people. And so when we read this, we're reading about our people. Let me read you a little bit and we'll try to try to bring this story from 2,000 years ago to right now to 2021. The last verse of the verses that we took in last week reads like this. This is verse 41 of chapter uh, two of Acts. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. It's a interesting use of, of a simple word church that all of us have heard. You probably wouldn't be taking this in if you had no idea what that word meant. But let me just explain something to you real clearly. Nowhere in the scripture does this word for church mean a facility, a building. We filmed this at Radius Lexington in an old Piggly Wiggly. And from the very beginning, we loved the fact that we bought a Piggly Wiggly that turned into an Ace Hardware that's now Radius Church because we always from the beginning of radius kept saying the church is not a building. Nowhere in scripture could we refer to this thing as the church. The church has always been the people. Now the scripture will refer to church in a variety of ways when it regards the people. As a matter of fact, there's a number of different sizes or scopes that you could have in your mind when you think church. If you read Ephesians chapter one, You actually get a picture of the universal church. And really, it is the primary church talked about in the Bible. Ephesians chapter one calls it the body of Christ. That's all of us. So that would connect you to the folks in this book right now. You as a Christian are connected to them. So history does not separate us. We are all a part of the body of Christ. I I think that's a really cool idea. So somebody in the dark ages where there just weren't many great places to go to worship Jesus, that were just struggling with their family and maybe had a little house church hanging out. Those, those are our people. Those, my brother, that's your sister. Those are our people. And then it spans all of geography. So right now on the planet, the universal church includes everybody in, in every nation that knows Jesus. Some of the uh, deep-seated division over race in our country and across the world throughout history uh, makes you know, has no place in the church because, man, we have, we have family of all colors. We have family all over the world of all colors, all languages, all different socioeconomic groups From the very wealthiest to the very poorest, folks that know Jesus, we make up the universal church. Worldwide, in 2,000 years worth of history, that's the universal church. And so when you see church in the New Testament, it often refers to the universal church. Then you see the word used again. Um, Throughout Acts, you'll see the word church oftentimes referring to a local gathering of people in a city. So it would be the church in Jerusalem. Right. That's that's the church we're going to read about right here in this passage. This is the church in Corinth, another town, the church in Thessalonica. You'll see Paul refer to the church as that gathering of believers in a specific time, in a specific place. For those of you out in Saluda, you would actually you would actually connect yourself to the other churches in town that know Jesus. And really, you would connect yourself to the folks in those congregations that know Jesus. So, the church in Lexington, for example, includes some pe- people from Lake Murray Baptist and some people from Lexington Baptist right over this way, f- some folks from uh, uh, Lexington Prayers. And you can go down through the denomination, you could pull out every single real follower, believer in Jesus, and we're the church at Lexington. Radius does not have a corner on what God's doing in Lexington. God's doing what He's doing, and those of us that are a part of this town, we're a part of His church. And then occasionally, uh, in Acts as well, the church will be referred to as a group of people in a house. So there's a church in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. You assume there's this gathering of believers there, and and there's a very small unit. And and there's a church in the house of Nympha. And there's a couple other folks that we assume that met in a house. So there's kind of like this universal picture. Then there's this kind of large city picture, and then there's all the way down to the house picture. Some folks call it the, uh, the big C church is universal, and the middle C church, uh, c- kind of like the keyboard on your pa- piano, the middle C church is, is the gathering in the city, and then there's all these smaller representations. You and I, even though Radius is a, is a, is a larger church, we would consider ourselves part of the small C church. We, we are a part of Lexington or Irmo or downtown Columbia. We're, we're a part of this much bigger unit of the followers of Jesus. Man, it's good to remember that. I don't know. Growing up, I thought my church was the only church in town. I don't think anybody ever said that. Just as a prideful little kid, <laughs> I often looked around like nobody else was really worshiping Jesus because they didn't do it like we did or they weren't in our building. That's stuff. That's jacked up. That's just messed up thinking. Now, this truth, there's truth. There's folks that call themselves churches that don't seem to really know Jesus, and we, we're disconnected from them because they don't have a true relationship with Jesus. So let's define this word church in verse 41. So those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all. So like the church is just born, there's 120 guys and ladies out there sharing the good news about Jesus, and 3,000 are added, so at least 3120 know Jesus right now. And the church is formed in Jerusalem. And then over the course of time, the church kind of has taken on this definition. John would say, "You have to truly and believe in Jesus to be a part of the church, universal or local. You have to be baptized." There's this anticipation that uh, Matthew 28, that, that if you believed in Jesus Christ, then you would make a public statement to be baptized. That's why at Radius, we, if, you're, if you want to join, if you want to be a partner at Radius, we expect you to be water baptized. We don't have to do it. Somebody, you can be baptized somewhere else or uh, uh, you could have been baptized before you ever came to Radius. That's all acceptable. But there's this expectation that the followers of Jesus are water baptized. Thirdly, uh, a church is a regular assembly of people. Now, we meet 52 Sundays a year. Sometimes 51 we will take the last Sunday off. And we meet in all other kind of ways throughout the year here at Radius. Um, it doesn't specify how many times a year we meet, but it's certainly not once a year. Right? Like if you're just only coming on Easter, if you're only a part of the body on Easter, that makes no sense when you read the scriptures. As a matter of fact, there's this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 we won't unpack it, but it actually says, don't forsake the assembling of, of believers. No matter It's this huge red flag if you stop hanging out with other believers as a church. Let me just say, because most of you guys are, are the online crowd, right? There's a couple hundred of you still. Some of you take this in and you're in person some and you take this in some. Some, you still only take this in. A really important question to ask right now uh, kind of as, as the vaccine gets out and some of the fears at least have de- decreased is why do I not want to fellowship in person with other believers? There's been really good reasons. I'm, I'm not debating that. This isn't like beat down moment where I'm saying you're wrong. This is a moment to ask that question again because I can go extrovert, introvert. And when I'm on my introvert side, sometimes I just prefer to be alone. actually taking stuff in as an individual by myself is sometimes just preferable. It's just, when you talk about the church, it's not biblical. (laughs) I like to watch TV by myself. I may make me weird. I don't know. I like to watch TV by myself. Nobody distracts me. I can take it in. I can process. A lot of times, even learning about God comes easier for me by myself in my car, listening to a podcast, taking it in and processing it without making a bunch of noise. It's just not biblical. When you talk about being a part of the church, it, you have to anticipate a regular assembly. That's the minimal standard for a church. So three, a regular assembly. Four, you fully anticipate that the local church would worship. And when we say worship, we don't mean Chris Tomlin, right? It's not about singing. It's about worshiping. You can worship through prayer. You can worship by speaking out loud about God. There's all kinds of ways you can worship. You can worship with arts. All kinds of ways you can worship. Singing's one of the really cool ways we get to worship and get to do it together. It works great in our culture, but the church must worship one way or another. And then, then there's this expectation that we're gonna go to the word of God and there's gonna be exhortation from the word of God. So, so we have five things. It's gotta be a group of people that truly believe in Jesus, that have been water baptized, that regularly assemble that worship, that uh, are committed to the word of God. Six, they celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. There's a regular, as Jesus asked us to do, remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. And then finally, uh, there's some duly appointed leaders. So at Radius our church government is formed around this plural group of elders. So we have uh, five directional elders. I'm one of them. I don't lead this thing by myself. Uh, we, we believe that that group of people are the, is the authority at Radius. And then even at the local, more distinct local level, we have what we call shepherding elders that have authority in each of our campuses, six different campuses. And so when you think church, you think those seven things. That's the minimum standard. All of those things must exist for something to be a local church. And then you, you must just know Jesus to be a part of the universal church. Make sense? So when we read this, we're reading about the very beginning of the church. There was no church. You couldn't go down to the little brick building on the corner. There's nobody to call. All these folks came to Christ that day, the day of Pentecost, 3,120 at a minimum, know Jesus, and now they're going to form the first ever church. And these next few verses are going to tell us what they did just right out the gate. Let me read them to you. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's all kind of great little nuggets in those few verses. Just a snapshot of the very first church in the history of the world. Church built around Jesus Christ. Acts 2.42 is like the go-to verse. You'll you'll see ministries named after Acts 2.42. It's the verse when I was in college where I first really began to understand what is the church, and you felt some of those components that we just named of those seven. Did you catch that part? The apostles' teaching. We just spoke of that. Centered around the word of God. As a matter of fact, when they built the New Testament, those 27 books that were picked by uh, the the folks that gathered together in the 300s uh, A.D. with Constantine driving some of some of that, they picked the books based on their relation to one of the apostles. You have to. We don't have time to go through all that that, but there's certainly. Folks in the very earliest church, they wanted to hear what the apostles said. The apostles often would tie some of the teaching from the Old Testament and they would bring it all the way forward. The early church didn't have the New Testament. It didn't exist yet. So you had the verbal words of the apostles being spoken and there was much connection. Even as as, uh, Peter has done in this passage uh, prior, he he brings back the book of Joel, the prophet Joel. He brings back uh, the teachings of David, King David of Israel, and he ties it forward and connects it to the Messiah. Still today, you and I are supposed to be connected to the apostles' teaching, and we do that by teaching the New Testament on a regular basis. We connect it to the old often to bring light to it. But I want you to catch this thing about the apostles. Verse 43 says this, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. There's miracles going on. Oh, I still think miracles can happen and do happen. There's uh, wonders that are happening worldwide that God's doing through believers, simple people like you and me because he's choosing to work through them. When I read this passage and I read apostles teaching and I watch them doing miracles and wonders, there's this authority about when they speak. It's just different. You can pray with me. I've been asking the Lord for that kind of authority, something that's not connected to my personality or my experience in life i just really love it if the Holy Spirit would, <laughs> would uh, speak his own way through me. You don't have to be a preacher to pray that prayer. Like you could pray that prayer for how you interact on your job site, how you interact in your home. That the Holy Spirit would speak through you with his power and make a, a difference, as we say at our church, in our radius. It's just true of the early church. There's power in the words of the apostles and the folks are repeating and there's power in the hands of the apostles as they do miracles. It's a a crazy little season at the very beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. He says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. I don't know what you think about fellowship when when I say fellowship but most of y'all think about potluck if you grew up in church. Like We had a fellowship hall where you try to figure out which of the older ladies at the church was going to bring the, uh, that particular item, and you're going to try to get in line first to get that item. Now that's, that's what fellowship meant. It was a fellowship hall. It was a place where we ate together. And that's, a, that's a valid definition of fellowship. There's certainly a part of togetherness that's included in the definition of fellowship, but it's, it's bigger than that. Um, my dad, when he gives people money, he will... You know, old guys can do this way better than some of you younger guys. He'll stick a stick $100 hand, bill in, in, his, in his hand or he'll write a check and pass it along. He says, I want to fellowship with you. It actually has to do with his resources. He wants to share his resources with you. My father did this all the time when I was a kid. And so when you read later in these verses and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, that's fellowship, right? Like they're sharing their stuff. It, it's an honor to share their stuff. They wanted to give it away. It's not communism. When you read, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. It's not, it's not like everybody's equal, but they just, they were overflowing with the love of God. And it brought joy to their hearts to give their stuff to somebody else in need. That's still happening today in the church. It happens all the time. And oftentimes it happens in a quiet way where we don't announce it publicly, but where one person who has gives to somebody else who doesn't. Our country being so independent, sometimes we we just can't fully participate in that kind of fellowship. But that's deep fellowship. And a deeper fellowship still is this fellowship that we have on this mission that you and I have been called on by Jesus. I don't know if you watch the Lord of the Rings, I'm the only one in my family who didn't read the book but watch the movies. Movies were great. But all I did was watch the movies and it was just fascinating to see this variety of people uh, and dwarfs or whatever the heck all these, these, these folks are um, rally together for the fellowship of the ring, right? Like, like these nine, I'm gonna call them guys, right? Partner together on this mission around, around a ring. You and I are connected to these 120, these 3,000, 2,000 years ago, we're a part of the fellowship of the cross. We're connected to one another through the cross of Christ and by being indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and we are called to a mission. And when you read the word fellowship, it's not, bro, it ain't just eating some good fried chicken and lima beans in the fellowship hall. It's, It's way deeper than that. They seem to get it, and it created this sense of awe. I don't know how awe works in your mind. There's a little fear with awe. Sometimes we have God as this very distant character that just rolls up on us whenever he wants. The Bible refers to Jesus both as a lamb and as the lion of Judah. I mean, out of control power, something that we can't just just harness and do as we will, but he does as he pleases and we're along for the ride. When, when he is truly moving, it creates a sense of awe around the people and you wonder what's gonna happen next week or the next day. It says that they uh, shared meals, NLT says, including the Lord's Supper. There's a variety of translations right here. The Lord's Supper's there. Some folks believe that it's spaghetti and, and uh, French bread with some butter and some sweet tea. Like people are just hanging out. And, and other folks believe that it was a little bit more formal to the Lord's Supper. They're actually taking bread and juice and remembering, as Jesus asked us to, his death, burial, and resurrection. We've talked a ton about the Lord's Supper. Let me just talk about these meals together. And it is so right for Christians to have other Christians in their home and eat together. It is is core to the very beginnings of the church. You know why that's right? It's not to talk about the Tigers or the Gamecocks, though that can be fun too. It's because we have this connection, this Holy Spirit connection, and we want to talk about Jesus. We want to tell our stories about how he's impacted us. We want to talk about how the words impacted us. It makes complete sense every time I see two ladies sitting at Zoe's across the table talking about Jesus and life. It it looks like the early church. That's what the early church did. They wanted to be together to talk about Jesus. If you don't have that on your calendar, certainly if you've been stuck behind the screen for a long time, you need to find somebody to get in front of. It's just normal for the church to be sharing life together and certainly talking about the good news of Jesus. And finally, they were devoted to prayer. When you read this, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, they met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You just get this attitude of joy coming from the people. But they also had pain. So I think oftentimes we read this, and it's like the ideal church, and we act like nothing went wrong. I need to remind you that Acts was written after the book of First Corinthians. Acts was recorded by Luke years after the book of 1 Corinthians, and he's recording the history when it wasn't jacked up by just a few years later, Corinthians, the church is going to come off the grid a little bit, and they're going to fall into sin. They're going to get in a mess. They're going to have troubles, as has the church ever since. And so this, this idea of gathering together to pray, to deal with our stuff, whether it be our sin or our troubles, or to pray like the early church would do for boldness to be, a uh, gospel testimonies to, to our world, all appropriate. I don't have time to do it all, Wish I did, but I love the world, joy and generosity there. They got together. They uh, hung out at homes. They focused on the apostles' teaching. They enjoyed fellowship together. They prayed together. By the way, if you've never prayed out loud with anybody, man, I want to take you down that road. It's an amazing road to pray out loud with another man or another woman. Um, many times at Radius, folks would do that for the very first time. They're like, man, I, I, I've been scared of that my whole life. It wasn't nearly as scary as I thought. As a matter of fact, it was powerful. That's what, that's what the church is. It's a place to communicate with God, with one another, and that's supposed to create joy and generosity. What should attract people to a church like Radius, and we're, again, we're not the end-all, be-all, is us. It's not my preaching. It's, it's not the worship band. It's not our Piggly Wiggly building, right? It's, it's supposed to be us. They're supposed to be tr- attracted to Jesus because of our love for one another. He says that point blank in John chapter 13. So when you read this, you can't help but picture a group of people that are in love with each other. They, they just really enjoy being together. Let me finish by reading verse 47. And all the while praising God, crazy line, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. At the end of every year, we do Give Hope. One of the, one of the goals of Give Hope is to actually care for the poor. We, we wanna get to the very specific needs in our community. We love hearing those stories, and we're collecting some even this week. But there's also this, it's just who we're supposed to be as believers because he's overwhelmed us with all these gifts of generosity from the living God. We're supposed to overflow with those gifts and it's supposed to impress upon our neighbors and eventually all they can do is have goodwill whether they believe or not. We have goodwill with the people simply because of what's, not because of some program we run, because of what God is doing in our hearts. And that final line I never want to skip and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I first uh, came back over here to Radius Lexington. We did a little poll in the room. Who'd been saved in the last year? It was sparse. It got really nervous in here. I didn't mean to make it that nervous, but it got really nervous in here. And, and it's a great question to ask for all six of our campuses as we, we kind of come out of the season of COVID. Hopefully, and we'll see, Right. Who are we praying for? Which domino? Who's the next guy or lady or child that our domino could fall into that potentially could draw somebody to Christ? They could be saved, set free from all their bondage, and they could have peace in the presence of God and anticipate an eternity with Him. We got to keep praying those prayers, and when they believe, we welcome them into our community here. (laughs) It's not... It's not a perfect community by any stretch of the imagination. We got a variety of problems, but it is a community that's dominated by the, by the Holy Spirit on the inside. And if we yield, it's the best place in the world for them to be. Just when you read Acts 2, 42 to 47, you go, man, I just won't be a part of that because God's doing something there. Jacked up people, yes, <laughs> but holy, sovereign, loving, gracious, merciful God driving it. People ought to want to be there. Let's pray for that right now. And you stew on this a little bit at your home. I believe it, Lord. I've had to say that out loud a couple times reading this passage this week. Say it out loud to you. Say it out loud to remind myself. I believe that you still work among men. I believe that you can still establish a healthy church. I believe that uh, you could transform me and my friends and family here at Radius so much so that the community, we just have goodwill among the community. I've already experienced some of that, Lord, we want more of it. I also believe that some of my neighbors could be saved because of the work you've done in my heart and because of words that could come out of my mouth. We trust you as you continue to help us own our responsibility of giving away what you've given to us. I love you. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.